Good morning, Mill City. So good to be with you. Uh, if you're brand new with us, just for sake of introduction, my name is Aaron Stern, I'm the lead pastor here. And I uh, want to also welcome everybody joining us online. Can we give a big warm welcome for those joining us on live stream? Yeah, we're so glad that you're with, uh, with us wherever you find yourself around the world. Um, before we jump into the message today, I've invited uh, my friend and part of our house, Reza, uh, to join me and, in prayer. We're going to take a moment and we're going to pray for Iran. Um, many of you might know that there's a lot going on in Iran right now. Uh, 47 years ago, there was a revolution, and after that revolution came a lot of injustice. And throughout uh, the years, different things have been tried, but recently a woman was killed for not wearing a head covering properly, and, and there has been a bit of an uprising. We want to take a moment and uh, pray for the Iranian church, uh, to pray for the people uh, all throughout Iran. And so uh, Reza was born there and uh, is a great friend of mine and a part of our house, so grateful for you. And so um, we just want to take a moment and pray. And I want to encourage you this. Don't just listen to him pray, okay? Join him in prayer, uh, which can sound like amen or yep, all right, or whatever, but just let's pray together, even though he's leading us in prayer, yeah, all right? Thanks so much, Aaron. Thanks for thinking of this and standing um, in solid, solid, whatever that word is. <laughs> English is my second language, so I don't know. <laughs> Solidar solidarity, there you go. Well, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, um, and I'm going to pray the first part in Farsi. And um, so my Farsi is kind of rusty, but y'all don't know, so it doesn't matter. So um, I'm just going to pray, and then I'll finish up. I'll pray in English so we can agree together. خانوما و اون مردا که اونجا هستن من بیبرسیم که شما لطفاً بیا کمکشون بکن ما هممون کمکتون میخوایم ما اینجا نشستیم توی فورت کالنز نشستیم اینجا ما فقط میایم به شما میپرسیم آقا خدای بزرگ لطفاً کمک بکن اون آدم ها رو به اسم مسی Father God we thank you so much for this opportunity to, to stand in the gap Lord, to, to stand here and to know that, God, that all of your children matter deeply to yes. you. No matter what ideology they belong to or what culture they were brought up in, Lord, we are a beautiful tapestry made in your image. Yes, so I thank you, Lord, that you stand with your image bearers, that, Emmanuel, you are with us. And we ask specifically, God, that you would intervene into the violence, into the senseless violence. That, Lord, this isn't about standing up against an ideology. It's not about standing up against a religion. It's about standing up for those who are experiencing incredible injustice and yes. horrific, horrific loss. And so I pray for your power, for your Holy Spirit's power. I pray specifically um, for the students that are uprising. I thank you for those young people. I thank you, Lord, for the men. And I thank you right now specifically for the women who are leading the charge in so many ways in our home country. I thank you for the church that is growing rapidly by the yeah. power of your spirit through the powerful leadership of the women underground. And I thank you, Lord, as we recognize it, even as your church is growing because of the leadership of the women, we also know that it's the women who are being attacked. So, Father, we want to be aware to the spiritual forces that are at work. We ask that you would empower and embolden the people. Lord, you would bring help and a cease to all the violence. And that, Lord, your name, Jesus, would reign supreme, yes. not just in our hearts, but in this world. Yes, Jesus. In Jesus' name, yeah. amen. Amen. Thanks, amen. brother. Thank you, thank you. Have you ever wondered if there's more? 
like more to life, more to the light, even if maybe you find yourself a follower of Jesus, find yourself in church, grow up in church, around the Bible, but, but find that, okay, life is, life is good, but it lacks the richness or the depth or the fulfillment that you hear Jesus talk about or, or believe is truly available and wondering where it's at. We're in our final approach of the, in, in our descent of the, of the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 7. For several months now, we've gone through Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and now Matthew 7. And in this, these last few weeks and in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends with a series of warnings. And these warnings are to keep us from going off track getting distracted, or maybe, maybe, not, maybe keeping his teachings at arm's length and thus not experiencing the fullness of what he's talking about. And so we've named this series going through Matthew 7, not so fast, because we want to be discerning in the things that we should be doing or how we're doing them. And so the passage that we're uh, jumping into today is Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can watch it on, look at it on the screen. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, when Jesus talks about a gate... He's not talking about a, like a swinging gate, like a gate of a fence or a pasture or something like that. What he's referring to would be a gate of a city, which would look more to us like an arch, like go through the east gate or the south gate. Now, these gates were of different size for different purposes. Uh, some gates were very large. They led up to maybe the royal palace or something like that. And so as a result, they'd be big enough for horses to go through, uh, for uh, large amounts of things. Uh, one particular gate might be the right gate to go through in order to bring a horse-drawn uh, something, in order to bring a, big, uh, a load of something into the city, which you couldn't do going through another gate of the city. So some gates you could bring everything through it, and other gates you couldn't. You couldn't bring a horse through it, or you couldn't bring these extra things through it. And Jesus refers to not only gates, but also to a road. And when he's referring to a road, he uses the Greek word hados. The Greek word hados means the literal road or the literal path, the way in which you would walk. But Jesus is using that actually as a word picture, a word picture for a way of life, not just a particular road, but but the way of life, a lifestyle, not just what you do, but how you do it, the way in which you live it out. In this particular passage, he's contrasting both wide and small. He contrasts broad and narrow, which can also be translated easy and hard. He contrasts destruction and life, and he contrasts many and few. Now, in this passage, it's an invitation to choose one or the other. You can go this way or you can go that way. Which one are you going to choose? Now, in our world, you might be responding, whoa, 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 Jesus is not very PC to say there's one way. 
I mean, come on, Jesus, you need to do some, you know, Zen meditation or something and realize there's so many options. But this theme is not just a theme of Jesus. It's a theme we find all throughout Scripture. If you go to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, God creates His, his perfect and beautiful world, and He creates humans as the crown jewel of His creation, puts them into the garden, and He gives them a choice. He says, you can eat of the tree of life, you can eat of these trees, but you cannot eat of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gives them a choice, one or the other. One's going one's gonna to be great, the other one's not. They, of course, choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and as a result, experience and bring death into the world. God, out of His love and care and delight in His creation, says, I'm not going to leave it this way. So He initiates a rescue plan. And in that rescue plan, in particular, is to begin with a family. And so He gives this family guidelines and rules and regulations on how to live to reflect God into the world. We have the Ten Commandments, and then we have hundreds and hundreds of other rules or guidelines and sacrifices and all these other things. And Moses is the one who brings and communicates that to the people. Well, after going through all those specifics at the end of Deuteronomy, this is what Moses says. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses, and curses one or the other. Jeremiah does it in Jeremiah chapter 21, where he speaks on the behalf of God and is encouraging the people, leave this city or stay in this city. If you, if you, if you do one, it's going to lead to death. If you do the other, it's going to lead to life. And Jesus is picking up that theme here again in the Sermon on the Mount. What I have presented to you, my teachings that we've gone through now for the last several months, that he went through on this hillside on this particular day, if you embrace them, it will lead to life. If you don't, it will lead to destruction. So a couple of things that Jesus is saying here in this particular passage. First one, the way of Jesus is not easy. Now, don't confuse accessibility with ease, because the message of Jesus is exceptionally accessible. But just because it's accessible does not mean that living it out is easy. To draw on and pull on some threads from these last several months going through the Sermon on the Mount, to be persecuted for righteousness and rejoice in response is not an easy way. To bless those who curse you is not an easy way. To be generous when you might want to hold on and be tight-fisted, to, to not hold on to things but instead be generous and tithe is not an easy way. To be hurt and not counterpunch, but rather forgive, is not an easy way. To see the wrong in others and not judge is not an easy way. To pray for your enemies and not gossip about them is not an easy way. To not sleep with your girlfriend or your boyfriend is not an easy way. Lust, anger, self-indulgence, judgment, stinginess, insult for insult is the easy way. But Jesus is saying here, if you go that way, you will hollow out your soul and you will become less human. Jesus uses the word destruction. It will lead to destruction. Another way of translating or expounding on that particular word is the word waste. Like you will not just destroy it, you'll waste your life. Now in our culture, explicitly and implicitly, easy is good and hard is bad. Right? I mean, it can be as... as 
silly as you want to work out? You want to, you want to get in shape? Don't work out. Too hard. Take these two pills twice a day. <laughs> or I need to have a difficult conversation with this person in order to make peace. Oh, that's going to be hard. I don't think I can do it. That's going to hurt. And we, we draw away from hard. M. Scott Peck, in his book, The Road Less Traveled, said, once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. Because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. It just is. So the question I have for each one of us is, have you been sold to Christianity that says that life will be easy if you follow Jesus? Because if you have, then every time you run into trouble, every time you run into a difficulty, every time things don't go the right way, you're going to think, I'm disappointed. Something's not working out. I'm not doing this right. God, you're not showing up. God, you're not coming through in the way that you're supposed to. But not even Jesus sees that or believes that. He said in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. Period. Sky Jathani in his book, What If Jesus Was Serious, says we do not take the narrow way because it is easy or because we long to be different. We do not take it merely because the wide road leads to destruction. We take it because on it we encounter the presence of Jesus. See, Jesus did not promise us an easy, problem-free life. Jesus promised promised us a presence-filled life. I would rather have 10,000 problems all the days of my life and feel and know and experience the fullness of the presence of God than have no problems, experience an easy life, and not have a drop of the presence of God in my life. He did not promise a problem-free life. He promised a presence-filled life, meaning I will be with you no matter what you go through. John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. I'm calling you to the way, and I am the way. And when he says, I am the way, what does he mean? If we extrapolate that on all of his teachings, what's he saying? He's saying, follow me. And to follow him means that we listen to him and we let him lead us. He determines where we go and how we go. But to do what Jesus instructs doesn't land well in our culture that says no one tells me what to do. Oh, we want the kingdom all right. We just don't want the king. I want to be my own king. I want to be my own queen. So I'm going to follow my heart. Thank you very much. The way of Jesus is blasphemy to the mission statement of our culture, do whatever you want. Because doing whatever you want is easy. To marry someone when they make you happy and divorce them when they don't is easy. But a lifelong faithful commitment and to love them more than you love your own happiness is hard. Doing what you want with your body Giving in to any and every desire, sexual desire, is easy. In a world that says it's harmful to deny yourself and not live out every sexual desire. Compared to the scripture that says 
honor God with your body. That our bodies belong to God. It's easy to pray the prayer of our world that says, my kingdom come, my will be done. And it's a lot harder to pray and live into your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in me as it is in heaven. Some of you are old enough to remember Jim Baker. Jim Baker, for anybody who's unfamiliar, was a televangelist in uh, the 70s and 80s. He was popular on television and, and in our world and had some mainstream awareness. And, but he, in the 80s, was caught for mail fraud and, and some financial issues as well as some sexual scandal and was put into prison. And years later, somebody went and interviewed him and asked him, Jim, when did you stop loving Jesus? And he responded by saying, I, I didn't. I just stopped fearing God. We stop fearing God when we say, I think I'll just go my own way. I, I'll do it my own way. Thank you very much. See, to follow Jesus is to believe that what Jesus is instructing is best for us. To trust Him and obey, even when we don't understand. When we don't, it's not like, oh, I'll obey when it feels good to me. I'll obey and I'll trust Him when it makes sense to me. I'll obey and trust Him when it's popular amongst some other people. When it doesn't like go against the grain of the world around me. You might think, this is hard. It feels like torment. I like what C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. <laughs> Which lines right up with what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple, become like me, be my apprentice, must deny themselves and pick up their cross daily and follow me. Pick up your cross daily. What does that mean? Die every day. See, this passage that Jesus is talking about here, Matthew 7, is not a, a one-time passage. Like, enter through the narrow gate once. He's actually saying, and you need to enter through the narrow gate every day. This isn't just a, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus and follow you once, and then I'm good, and I hope some other people. No, every day, die to myself, which means the way of Jesus is not easy. Jesus is also saying here that the way of Jesus is not popular. Jesus stands against any idea that you can go with the flow, allowing the crowd to set the pace and the direction of your life. If you noticed in marketing these days, whether it's on a billboard or on a product or on a television ad or whatever, it might say like best selling or it might say most watched or the number one brand. What, what, are they, what are they trying to communicate? Millions of people can't be wrong. And so go with what's popular. We actually have kind of a, a built-in desire in some form or another to go with what's popular because we think of being part of the popular crowd is to be accepted. And we also, especially in our day and age, have fallen into 
the idea that popularity equals legitimacy. It used to be that character meant legitimacy. Now it's like, oh, we listen to somebody because they're popular. They have a lot of followers. All these followers can't be wrong about who they're listening to. But Jesus is saying and calling us to an unpopular path. See, we've been formed by consumer culture and shaped by a tradition of Christianity that strives for popularity and broad acceptance. I think it's important that we, as followers of Jesus, don't whine that we might not be the popular kid anymore. That we're not upset that we're not at the big boy table anymore. And I say that in specifically in relationship to a country that is becoming more and more secular. And perspectives on Christians or the way of Jesus is less and less widely accepted. As a result, it's not the majority anymore. Following Jesus is not about popularity. It's not about gaining popularity. The way of Jesus is about following Him whether it's popular or not. Popularity is not the goal. Broad acceptance is not the goal. Following Jesus faithfully is the goal. Now in a world like ours, to follow Jesus can sometimes feel like the only one. You might think, and no, I'm the only one in my workplace. I'm the only one following Jesus in my class. I'm the only one following Jesus in my family, in my neighborhood, in uh, the group of moms or the groups of dads or golf groups or whatever it might be. And though you might be the only one, the way of Jesus is not lonely. Because the call to, the, to a narrow road is not a call to a lonely road. It is a call into community. See, we are called to love and encourage one another. When we walk the road together, Jesus is in our midst. The scripture says that where two or three are gathered together, Jesus is there with them. Which is why we say, it is important to be here on a Sunday on a regular basis. To be here as often as possible, not just when it's convenient. Why? Because because many of us in this room might go through our week thinking, I am the only one, and maybe in your context you are. But when we come and we sing together and our voices come together and we're sitting next to somebody else who's got their hands up and you've got your hands up and we're worshiping the same king, we realize, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And we come together in a city group and we realize, oh, you are the only one in your office and I'm the only one in my office. I'll pray for you. I'll think of you when I'm thinking about where is everybody? How is it? How can I do this all by myself? Because we're not alone. And we serve together on the lift team and and serve the church and serve our community. Why? To realize that when we feel like we're all alone and there's nobody else on the same mission, that we realize we serve together, we serve out of love, and we serve not for our own sake, but for God's. I'm not alone to know that there's millions of Christians around the world 
The fastest growing church in Iran is in Iran right now. Not easy, not popular. To know that we are not alone, we are surrounded. And we're not just surrounded by the people around us in this room or the people we could call or text on the phone, but Hebrews chapter 11 talks about all of these people, specifically in the Old Testament. Gives a list, and it includes Noah, who built an ark out of holy fear, in a, surrounded by a culture that laughed at him. Or talks about Abraham, who followed God, even when he didn't even know where he was going. Talks about Jacob, and it talks about Isaac, and it talks about Moses, and all the ways in which they followed God because they trusted him. And you get to Hebrews chapter 12, and it says, therefore. So because of all of them, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? The ones who have gone before us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race, the way, the road marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured, not easy, the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So I was putting this message together and praying through this week. I had a sense from God that there would be some people here that are ready to quit. They're ready to quit faith. Maybe you're ready to quit praying for your spouse or your, for your son or daughter. You quit trying to forgive. And I'm here today. And I believe and I pray that you hear the words not just from me, but from God through me that says, don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't get off track. Because you are surrounded. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And so he says, remember the cloud and fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on the difficulty of the path. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German martyr during World War II, wrote the book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he said, if we worry about the dangers that beset us, if we gaze at the road instead of him who goes before, we are already straying from the path. For he himself is the way, the narrow way and the straight gate. See, Jesus is on the path with you. When Jossie and I, my wife, were dating, we started dating when we were freshmen in college and I went to a school in Oklahoma, and she went to school in California, University of the Pacific in Stockton, California. And she was on the crew team. Now, the crew team uh, is, you find out about different sports and know what they are on the Olympics, right? Sports that are not popular any other time of the year. And <laughs> crew is where they're uh, in these boats. Usually uh, there can be four or eight, but... but all of them rowing with one row, one run or rowing in unison. And, and maybe there's four rowers, but I don't know if you know it, there's five people in the boat. 
The fifth person is what's called a coxswain. And the coxswain is the person who's in the boat that's steering the boat and giving direction and encouragement to the rowers. Well, Jossie was on the crew team, and I went out to visit her in California, and she said, do you want to go to crew practice with me? And I said, oh, sure. And she said, great. We will pick you up at 4.30 a.m. Man, not so fast, Aaron. I said, okay, great. I'll be ready. So we got in the, met him, got in the van, went down to the dock, unloaded the boat, and Jossie said, oh, Aaron, one of the girls is sick. Um, would you be able to get in the boat to, this morning? I'm like, yeah, sure, I guess, you know. And he said, you don't have to row. We just, we need a coxswain. I said, okay, I can do that. And so right next to your hips is the uh, kind of ropes that you grab a hold of and you're able to steer. He said, so you need to do that. And then, and then if you could just give us uh, some encouragement. Uh, okay, next 10, let's really push it together, okay, in unison. All those types of things. I, thought, I can do that. So I got in the boat, and, and we, we were out in the middle of the water. And it's early, so it's calm and clear. And as we kept going, and as we are rowing, and then we'd stop, and then we'd do another, and I started to realize something. We're going this way. I can see where we're going. They're facing me. Their back is facing the direction that we're going. For all they know, I could ram them into the ground. I could ram them into a boat that comes in front of us. I mean, and if they tried to say, well, I'm going to look. I want to I make sure. We're going off course. Things aren't going to go well. You can't do this. And so they had to trust me. And they fixed their eyes on me, trusting me that I was going to lead them in the way they needed to go. And that's what Jesus is calling us towards. Calling us towards fixing our eyes on Jesus. And saying, it doesn't matter if the road is bumpy. It doesn't matter if it's steep. It doesn't matter if it's flat. It doesn't matter if there's thorns or rocks. It doesn't matter. Because I'm not fixed on that. I'm fixed on Jesus. And I'm trusting Him to carry me through and take us to where we need to go. Every week we have a weekly practice. Something for each one of all of us together to practice. As a way of formation, as a way of living into the reality of what we're talking about. And so I want all of us, every day this week, whether it be in the morning or whenever, if you would take a moment, sit down in a moment of silence and solitude, maybe for a couple of minutes, and in that moment, think of fixing your eyes on Jesus. Like, what does it look like to just gaze on the beauty of Jesus? The one who gave his life away, was willing to do the hard, was willing to go the unpopular route, was willing to sacrifice his own life, to truly die. Just, just sit and fix your eyes on the power and the glory and the beauty of Jesus. This isn't just a mental ascent. Yeah, I believe he's beautiful. This is to fix our eyes, lock eyes with the king, to lock eyes with the one who is above all, who is 
Lord who is leading us, who leads us into the fullness and depth and richness of the kingdom of God. For some of you here today, this is a call, an invitation. It's actually an invitation for us all. This message of Jesus brings us to a place of decision. He's intentionally trying to bring his listeners to a place of decision. And he's bringing us today to the same place and asking, will you respond to the invitation? And for some, this is an invitation of salvation. And maybe you're in that place today. Maybe you've never been in church before or first time in a long time. And, and the invitation is to enter through the narrow gate to say yes to Jesus, to his way. For him to say, you know what, that's not going to fit through the gate. You didn't have to leave that. To surrender your life, to make him Lord, to say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. If you are in that place and ready to cross the line of faith and respond to that invitation, will you just say under your breath, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, you are Lord. Which is to say, I want to follow you. You're the Lord and no one else is. But this is also an invitation for ongoing apprenticeship to Jesus. This is not a one-time entrance. It's a daily entrance. To daily say, Jesus, your Lord. And the scripture says, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. Not praise the narrow gate. Stand by and and admire its architecture, rest next to the narrow gate, enter through it. See, Jesus is saying, don't keep my teachings at arm's length because it will impact the fullness and the depth of the life of the kingdom of God. And so for some of you, it's an invitation through the narrow gate again to say Jesus is Lord over my dating life. Jesus is Lord over my sexuality. Jesus is Lord over my finances. Jesus is Lord over my hopes and dreams. Jesus is Lord over my career. Jesus is Lord over my grades. Jesus is Lord over my time. And so we surrender. And I just want you to know Next year, I turned 50. I've been following Jesus for a long time now. And if for, especially for all the young people in the room, but for all of us, can I just tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. He's worth it to say Jesus is Lord of all the areas, especially the areas you want to hold tightly to. He's worth it. So I dare you. I dare you to enter through the, through the narrow gate today. Will you respond to his invitation? Together today, we want to take a step. We're going to take a step by practicing communion, engaging in communion together. And so if you walked in, you should have received a little communion cup. If you did not get one of those or somehow missed that, you no problem, you can just raise your hand. One of our host team will make sure that you get a communion cup. Just keep your hand raised until they find you.
we practice what we call open communion, which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you just said a moment ago, Jesus, I give you my life. We encourage you to participate in communion with us. We believe that communion is not about belonging or being a member of one particular church, but about belonging to the family of God. So we encourage you to participate with us. If you choose not to participate, that's okay too. The scripture says that before we take communion, we're supposed to examine ourselves. And so we're going to take about 30 seconds and music's going to play softly. And I just want you to open your heart and your life to Jesus and give him the ability, give him permission to examine every area of your heart and life. And it's not just about examination, but then it's about confession, that we would confess that which is brought to the surface. Maybe it's about an interaction. Maybe it's about a, a, a way that you're looking for the wide road and have traveled the wide road and not through the narrow gate. Whatever it might be, would you just take the next moment, offer those things to God, repent, turn towards Him. Walking with Jesus is not just an individual thing, it's a together thing. And so as a way to live into that, we also confess collectively. So a confessional prayer for all of us to pray is going to come up here on the screen. We're going to pray this together. It's a way for us not only to be reminded that we're in community together, it's a reminder for us all that the ground at the foot of the cross is level, that every one of us is in the same amount of need for Jesus. That the time of need for all of us is always. And so we confess our need for him and receive his grace. So can we pray this confessional prayer together? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways in the glory of your name. Amen. If you would, take the communion cup. You can peel off the top layer. Give access to the bread. Peel off the next layer. Get access to the juice. The scripture says that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the juice together.
See, Jesus says in both cases, when you, re- when you remember my bruised body, when you remember my spilled blood, when, you, when we take this, we're remembering that. We're remembering that Jesus didn't take the easy way, didn't take the popular way, and even found himself on the cross. Why, God, have you forsaken me alone? So that we never would be. So we remember the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can take the narrow road because we cannot do it on our own, but we do it by the power of the Spirit given to us. And so, Father, we thank you for your spilled, your, your spilled blood through your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to go to the cross, to live out your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom come, my will be done. And so, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would enable us by your spirit to live into that reality just as Jesus did so that we might be people of love, sacrificially giving our lives away, not doing what's easy, not doing just what we want, but doing even what is difficult, even at the cost of ourselves. Jesus, we need you. Help us to enter through the narrow gate. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, everybody said, Everybody said, everybody said, everybody said.